Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive Home and Auto Policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Bring yourself back online. No one knows what I'm thinking. Tell us what you think of you. This is just a cheap trick. Some people choose to see the ugliness in this world. The disarray. I choose to see the beauty. Welcome to Still Watching Westworld, an unofficial podcast about the HBO series Westworld. I'm Vanity Fair senior writer Joanna Robinson. And I'm Vanity Fair chief critic Richard Lawson. Each week we'll break down the latest theories, baffling questions, and hidden illusions, as well as occasionally chat with someone who has worked on the show itself. This week we have two interviews. We've got Katya Herbers, who plays Emily, uh, and Angela Serafian, who plays Clementine. So two lovely ladies joining us this week. But before we get to them, we are going to be discussing and spoiling only up to season two, episode nine, Vanishing Point, directed by Stephen Williams and written by Robert Patino. And Richard, I mean, I know you and I were both really enthusiastic about last week's episode. Did you have any like overall thoughts about your enjoyment level on this one? Was it a huge come down? Did you like it fine? How did you feel? I mean, we'll get into it, but like, I'm glad that Celia Ward is now the lead of the show. She's, she's going to come back every episode, right? Uh, right, right. My beloved Celia Ward from Once and Again and various other things. Um, sisters. Sisters. And she's briefly the president in um, Independence Day Resurgence. Um, <laughs> she, you know, she, oh, she, uh, she was killed by one armed man in The Fugitive. She uh, sure was. I mean, she's been, you know, she's, she's great. Spoiler for the future. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry, guys. Um, I did like the episode, but, and again, we'll get to it. Something like so horrible happens at one point that it just kind of bummed me out for the rest of the time. And Absolutely I don't want to say fair. what that is. I think you can guess, but like, anyway. Yeah. I, I, I too was like, no. All right. Um, before we get into our sort of beat by beat breakdown of the episode, and we're going to take this episode sort of storyline by storyline as we do sometimes just to keep everything straight and coherent. Before we get to that, I wanted to get to a couple emails. We got one email from, um, 
Jody Taylor. Uh, and I'm just going to read it because of the very charming way in which she writes. But she says, hey, just want to say I love the show and send a couple of random thoughts after listening to last week's episode. Bullet point number one. Legitimately had the same thought as Richard during Ed Harris's Billiam crawling to the river acting. I made the mistake of texting my mother about this and she, weirdly passionate in her response, told me to get on that tweets and remind you guys he was pee chill in the right stuff. So uh, <laughs> we got a lot of tweets from people telling us uh, movies that Ed Harris was a nice guy in. Uh, you know what we did yeah. not get though? What? Any like resounding endorsements of Milk Money. Like, come on, guys. Way to fall down <laughs> yeah. on a prompt. We told you to <laughs> tell us milk money. Yeah. Like, you guys, I presume you guys all rushed out and watched it last week. So we're, we're still waiting for our report back on milk money. Yeah. So. Um, but I, we got some stepmom tweets and a lot of the right stuff tweets. So apparently you guys have a thing for astronauts and that's fine. Um, and then she also writes, I wonder if anyone working on Westworld is mad that the altered carbon Netflix show came out before season two. A lot of the cupcake consciousness theory stuff reminds me of stacks from altered carbon. Carbon. Am I alone in that thought? Maybe a recommendation to anyone that likes these philosophical ideas in Westworld. Um, and I haven't watched altered carbon. Did you watch it, Richard? I don't know what that is. And I refuse to find out what it is. No, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I know what it is, but I will never watch it. Sorry. Um, right. So this is a, this is a sci-fi Netflix series that came out, um, earlier this year. Neither of us watched it. And, um, I heard mixed things about it, mixed kind of negative actually, but, um, I have heard from a lot of people, uh, that a lot of the themes that are covered in altered carbon, which has to do, it's a sort of ghost in the shell esque thing about putting your consciousness in new bodies. um, that um that that it relates to this so ultra carbon watchers you are not alone a lot of people feel this way uh but richard and i still will not watch this at least until all of you watch milk money so um (laughs) that's that's the ultimatum (laughs) yeah um and yeah, and then that's, that's, that, those are just some of Jody's bullet points, but that's a, that's a good start. And then we got an email from Shelby, uh, one of many people writing into us to let me know that I got the, uh, a line wrong in last week's episode <laughs> where Akicha says talking to Ford in that like striking frozen tableau scene. Um, and he says, um, I think he says, I, I made myself, I gave myself a new, I saw it. He said, I gave myself a new tribe. Um, apparently he said, I gave myself a new drive. So uh, here I was like, oh, it's so beautiful. Everyone's in his tribe now. Mm. But, uh, people who watched the closed captioning on told me that it's drive. So he, he gave himself a new mission, which was to spread consciousness, um, around the park, basically. Uh, it's not a completely dissimilar, uh, sentiment, but maybe not quite as sort of, religiously and spiritually impactful as what I thought the line was. And maybe a little bit more anachronistic in terms of the language use. Sure. Yeah. He's using some, uh, some robot language there, but, um, so there you go. That's some feedback. Thank you guys so much for all of that feedback. So like I said, we are going to break down this episode sort of storyline by storyline. Uh, we are going to save, uh, Ed Harris, William for last, uh, because this is kind of a really big Ed Harris episode, Mr. Milk Money himself. So we are going to start instead with our girl Maeve, who spends the entire episode incapacitated on a gurney. And something that I, um, I realized in this episode is that Maeve, uh, Tandy Newton, you know, I consider her 
after Seal Award, the star of the show. And, um, but she's done a lot of silent listening. Uh, cause I remember in the Shogun episode, she's gagged for part of that episode. She has to do a lot of listening. She basically just listened all last week. That's all she did. And again, once again, this week, she's just listening, but she does a really good job. She's like very attentive, active, immobilized listener. <laughs> yeah. It's good eye so, acting, like kind yes. of, kind of, you know, sort of what, you know, searching sort of, you know, like we get the sense that like, consciousness is like roiling in her again you know yeah so um we'll start we'll start like just before Maeve. we'll start instead of with clementine we um we see that charlotte and you know bernard is sort of creeping lurking in the shadows as charlotte and this uh delos guy who we definitely don't like because he's got a creepy beard and a bad attitude uh it has sort of transferred Maeve's god powers to the clementine character and we see um her use these powers to basically incite all the hosts around through the mesh network incite all the hosts around her to violence and they all kill each other um and so what it seems to be the plan is that charlotte is going to use clementine to destroy all the hosts in the park like use those powers to make clementine go make everyone kill each other does that sound right to you yeah they're making a new sort of less pure god right Right. You know, Maeve was sort of, well, I mean, she's born of Ford's intent, but like, you know, it's a more sort of organic and, you know, thing. They're like, okay, we can use this little bit of coding that like makes her magic and, and use it against them. So, you know, classic, like, technology in the wrong hands, sort of, you know, like, how can we weaponize it? How, you know, et cetera. This feels like a good place to take pause and talk to Angela Serafian about Clementine's crazy new powers. Angela, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. Oh, thank you. I'm so honored to be here. I love your podcast. <laughs> we should uh, uh, we should explain to listeners that this is the second time we've done this uh, interview. Uh, we are we are back on our loop together again. We tried this a couple yeah. we tried this a couple weeks ago. There was a uh, technical glitch. I'm going to blame Anthony Hopkins. I'd say Ford deleted um, the interview that we did a couple weeks ago. So. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Here we go again. <laughs> um, it's so, like it's brand new. It's like it's never happened before because no one's heard it. Exactly. So. Just, only you and I know what happened in that conversation. Um, so we are we are going to go again. But so much has happened to Clementine since you and I talked. Uh, she has operated a machine gun, and she has majorly leveled up in power. So before we talk about the crazy stuff you do in episode nine. Let's just hop back a little bit to episode seven, where you get to do this major shootout in the Mesa and everything that happens there. What was that like to shoot? How did you enjoy being like Clementine, the action hero? Like, what was that like for you? (laughs) I love, I love all those action um, related stuff because it's kind of like dancing. You choreograph the whole thing, so no one actually gets hurt. But it's really fun. It's like an adrenaline rush. And I'd never used a machine gun before, you could imagine. <laughs> really? So wow. There was, yeah. <laughs> so there it was in the flash kind of. It was crazy to, to use that thing. It was really, really powerful. You can't even imagine what that could do. So I um I had no idea how it would turn out. And I think it was, it was okay, right? Oh, it looks so great. 
I think the contrast of, of your great, um, you know, sort of zombie Clementine look and then, um, coupled with that crazy future gun is a, is a pretty good look, I think. Yeah. And it's like the only time that you see Clementine this season get violent, you know, prior to that, there isn't anything she's doing that, that's deliberately or, or just hurting another person or being without purpose. Everything has its reason. So, um, I like that there was a reason why she, she was doing that, right. which is protect, to protect uh, the possible future of, of having that freedom that she obviously doesn't have. Right. And then we get um, a little bit more of a different kind of violence in this week's episode, obviously, when um, it, it seems to me like some of Maeve's coding has been transplanted over or copied over into Clementine. So now you have the badass Tandy Newton godlike powers um as well <laughs> I know isn't that it's it's isn't that crazy that she and I were in the Mariposa and now we're like almost on the ends of two spectrums doing the exact same thing only Clementine is there for destruction as you could see in episode nine yeah like she yeah. has putting her in that back in that sort of glass fronted exam room you know obviously like it's a reference back to season one when they sort of tried to use clementine to demonstrate a faked glitch in the code and they they make her do something super violent back in season one i'm wondering what it is about clementine that you know she's she's charlotte hale's favorite lab rat like what 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 is it about you that, that puts you in that position I think her innocence in, initially is is the wonderful candidate because you're like there's a person who sees only love in the world and doesn't even though she's lived a lifetime full of awful things and deaths and things like that she doesn't remember them so with her I guess design it's easy to manipulate at least at this point with Clementine so and it's sad because it continues on up until this point. You know, she's yeah. always under the control of somebody. I mean, I, I my feeling is maybe it, it is Dr. Ford that's telling her to, to drag Bernard to Elsie. Um, so she doesn't have a mind of her own. And I think that Charlotte Hale sees that as an opportunity, especially after they kill her, you know? She's dead now, so why not use this vessel for more destruction? When they kill her... Um and then bring her back. Like, is she, is she still, how much is she still Clementine in that scene? Or um, how much is she a shell? Well, it's interesting. If you look at what's happening with Maeve, I feel like there is a similar, obviously very different places they're both at, but there's a similar level of existence of, okay, this is still that host. This is still that, that being, so I don't think she is. She isn't Clementine. I think she is. It's just that she. It's like she is the perfect example of of the destruction of a host. Like what really happens, like when a host completely deteriorates. And so when Clementine in this season now has the ability to just simply by her presence destroy all these hosts. Yeah, it's incredibly heartbreaking. It's just. It, it, there was this great line that Akechita said. Um, he he said, um, for every, and this is obviously not, I'm not quoting him, but it was this idea that with every host down in um, 
uh, when, when they're all dead, every host down here has a mourner. So I thought, they're, they're so human. These hosts are so human. And they're more human than us, especially the, the examples in the show. Um, so, you know, that is unfortunately now going to be destroyed by simply Clementine's existence. Um, when, you, when you do this um, sort of beautiful, almost serene movements where you're sort of holding your hand up to the glass and causing all this destruction um, around you when, when Clementine <laughs> does this, um, when you go into sort of godlike um, Zen mode, do you, did you look to anything that Tandy had done in her performance to sort of guide well, what you did? Actually, we, I, I didn't. So in that, in that moment when um, Clementine touches the glass and all the other hosts on the other side of the glass start to destroy, destroy each other, kill each other, um, I thought the more delicate touch, the, the more effortless it is and, and kind of, um, you know, very, very subtle, the more powerful it is. Yeah. Because it, it it's not it doesn't take much you know it's I think it's scarier if you're not um, using any kind of effort at all and and you can do something so uh, powerful in a way um, so that's all I thought about in that moment but regarding Tandy's performance in season two where I think she begins to have these abilities I think we see that mostly in episode five that's when it all kind of changes. Um, uh, I, I wasn't privy to seeing any of that. So, um, so, so my approach was simply kind of more through movement and I don't know. I, I always think that Clementine is in a different place when she's asleep. Mm. I never see her as someone as asleep. So it's like we, we sleep and we dream. And I think she must be in a dream state as well. Just a different reality. Mm. So sad. Um, when when last we spoke, uh, which which was lost to time, um, we were talking about how interesting it was for you this season to have the Clementine character sort of refracted across three different versions uh, or two different versions in, in addition to yourself, because there was the Sakura character over in Shogun World. Oh, yeah. Then there's the character that Lily Simmons plays over in the Mariposa. Uh, then there's you know uh, sleeping Clementine and. Then then, as and then, since then we got we got uh, Cradle Clementine, right? Um, and so I was just wondering, wondering if you could talk about like this, the idea. And the, your, your character is not the only one to have that happen, but maybe the only one to have four different sort of versions in in one season. What it's like to have Clementine reflected and refracted against all those different characters? Well, you know, I I as the season began in episode two, I'm OG Clementine, like super old. Like so she's one of the oldest toasts mm-hmm. in the park because when you see her playing the piano, those are the originals. Um so it was really kind of cool to play that very beginning Clementine kind of as a functioning uh guest at a party who also is a pianist. That came naturally to me because I play the piano myself. And so when Jonah brought that up about, would you learn the man I love by Gershwin? And I thought, yes, I, I, I can't believe I'm going to get to play Gershwin on this world. So um, that was one, that was fun to do. Then you see her as zombie Clementine. And 
I thought, you know, what's interesting about kind of that part of her was she's no longer functioning on a, a, a character. No one's given her this loop that she has to live every day. Um, and I still believe she's Clementine. It's just that now she's just like, an, with no, I, I guess, I don't know how to put it, but she just simply is in her soul, in her essence, this one thing. And she no longer is trapped in somebody else's kind of created world. Even though she's still being controlled by Dr. Ford, she's not, um, she's not taking uh, imaginary actions. They're real things that she's doing this season. So they're actual steps into going into freedom, I think. Um, so with that, I thought um, I used ballet a little bit and some characters like um, there's a, a beautiful ballerina named Maya Plasetskaya. So she she was an inspiration in some of the characters that she she created um, in terms of, of Clementine's strength for this season. And then the last Clementine, well, we'll just like do three. Um, I love I love going back into the male Plaza and playing her. You know, actually, her and her loop, but it's simulation, so it was in the cradle. One th- one hilarious thing I think that happened is, you know, when last we spoke, we talked a little bit about you being part of that Rickroll video because of your piano playing skills. So this like video that that Jonah and Lisa Joy put up to uh, on Reddit before the season started, they roped you in to sort of uh, play the piano. <laughs> but what was hilarious is then when there was the, the huge reveal of the season, uh, which is the episode six. Uh, oh my god anthony hopkins is back there was a dog yeah. and a piano and i'm like oh my god there was truth in that video um yes there are clues <laughs> everywhere there are clues you just have to really look and dissect every little thing it's like a big puzzle okay so you know what's happening in the finale but you cannot tell me anything because then <laughs> you will be decommissioned and sent back to cold storage is that right that's true <laughs> that's true. yes Yes. I guess my last question is then, you know, um, having been part of season one and season two, both of which deal yeah. with so much mystery that's so fun for some people and then like so maddening and frustrating for other people. Um, have you seen any, in terms of fan reaction or, uh, you know, questions you get shouted at you on the street or anything like that, have you seen any difference in terms of, I don't know, the way that people are thinking about solving the mysteries or people this season just more willing to let it kind of wash over them or are people sort of like even more invested in trying to figure out what's what's going on at any given moment i feel like i feel like they're even more invested only because there's so many elements um in the story that they're trying to puzzle together does, does that make sense yeah so i i see kind of this and, and people really love the show i was just recently in new york and I was amazed to to see um, how much you know it affects people, and I it's so it's kind of awesome. You know, you walk through a park and someone might recognize me, and then we might get into an entire conversation about what's happened up until that point. And I love I love that. I love that people are very affected by the show. Well, thank you so much for coming back. Uh, I thank you. I, I had a good time. I'm sorry for everyone who didn't get to hear the first conversation, but um, this I was, know it was so much better, you guys. It was way better. No, 
<laughs> it really was. It was so much. And it's gone forever. It's gone forever. Yeah, this is great. And I cannot, I mean, having seen, you know, we, we saw Machine Gun at Clementine. We saw, um, you know, Ethereal behind a glass, uh, destroying everyone, Clementine. I cannot wait to see what you get, what craziness you get to do in the finale. So I'm excited. Oh, thanks. Yeah, me too. I, I can't wait to see it. I haven't seen it either. So I'll be watching with everyone. And thank you, Joanna. This was really fun. Um, and then also, you know, I, Angela, it, you know, in this scene, Angela as Clementine, I think, does some great, like, I don't know, ethereal hand to the glass yeah. acting. Yeah. Um, and it, and it, it feels like a callback to season one when they used Clementine again in a different test, uh, when they were like sort of faking a glitch in the code and they made her like kill another host in that same like uh, exam room. Yeah. So basically they keep using Clementine as their guinea pig. So we'll see what they really, happens. really like to use her for some reason. <laughs> I mean, there's those eyes, yes. those big old eyes, yeah. you know? So, so Bernard sees this and he freaks out and he wants to like run out to the park and go to the rescue. But Ford is like, no, wait, first we got one more stop to make. Yeah. Cause he Bernard goes, is like furious that like they would rather destroy everything. Right. Then like, yeah. Then lose out or no, whatever, you know? Right. And so Bernard goes to find Maeve on Ford's instruction and uh, Ford, like basically Ford communes with her and through the mesh network. Once again, the, the, you know, hard porting and mesh networking and terraforming are our favorite things to explain away everything at Westworld, but basically Ford. Well, also because like there's a part where um, Bernard like tries to gain access to the room and they're like denied and Ford's yeah. like, oh, don't worry, close enough. And it's like, okay, yeah. so wait, so now it's a proximity thing? I thought this network was, like, sort of park-wide. Like, she, they can only communicate when there's someone nearby, you know? It's like- supposed uh, – I think when Bernard first explained it, it's supposed to be uh, a proximity thing. Okay. Like, but way back at the beginning of the season, he was like, hosts can commune with the hosts near them through the mesh network. And that's why they're taking, like, Clementine, I guess, out into the park. It has to do with proximity. But the, the question is – um, how was it Akichita was able to commune with um Maeve in last week's episode? Well, yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, they're both gods, basically. So maybe they yada, 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 yada. Uh, uh, and, and using Anna, her daughter, as kind of a portal. I don't know. But for the most part, it's like Apple Watch thing where you're like, oh, cool, a watch that can, you know, do computers. And then it's like, well, no, you have to be near Wi Fi or your phone. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, Oh, and something that a listener pointed out to me last week that I didn't realize if you if you guys are going to go rewatch Kiksuya, the episode last week, uh, when Akichita is talking to like telling his story, when he's talking to Anna, Maeve's daughter, uh, he uses English. And then when he's talking to Maeve, he uses Lakota. And so the the dialogue is split between those two characters, which right. I think is kind of fun and interesting and not something I picked up on my own. Um, but anyway, so Bernard leaves and we'll get back to him. But, you know, uh, Ford stays behind and he is now sort of hopped, hopped a ride in Maeve's consciousness. Um you know, people are having fun coming up with, with portmanteau names for what, you know, what Bernard is with a Ford inside of him and all that sort of stuff. But, uh, I'm really excited that now we can call the Ford and Maeve combination fave, right? Yeah. Like, yeah I mean, there's no other, I mean, our problematic fave or something like that. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, a Ford and this is like, 
a, a beautiful uh, couple of scenes between Anthony Hopkins and Tandy Newton, two characters that we have not seen interact that much. Um, but they, you know, he is basically um, monologuing to to her. And, um, you know, basically the, the, the Delos guy we don't like says it's not long for you, sweetheart, meaning like they're going to decommission Maeve as soon as they figure out that the code is like for sure working in Clementine. Um, and then Anthony Hopkins starts, yeah, like monologuing to her. And, um, this is some of what we were talking about two weeks ago where like Anthony Hopkins could literally say anything and we're like totally here for it. He starts dropping classical quotes, but he also like, he, you know, I think one of the criticisms of Anthony Hopkins in season one was that he could just like, he was a little bit phoning it in and it doesn't really matter when it's Anthony Hopkins. He could, he could like passively read the phone book and we'd be interested, but like Anthony Hopkins show up, showed up to work today when he did this scene because he is like crying over Maeve. And I found it actually kind of affecting. What did you think of their interaction? Um, I thought it was good. I I still wish that I had a better understanding of why Maeve was his favorite, you know, of all the hosts and all, you know, everything like what particular about her. Cause I don't feel like that was clarified unless I missed something. Um, but I still did really like the scene and going back to the tech being like, eh, you know, not long for you to, to whatever, like yeah. something about the show. It's like, why are they all so mean? I mean, these people spend so much time tending to these, you know, machines or people, you know, hosts or whatever, caring for them, fixing them, learning from them. And so many of them are like sadistic to them. And I guess that's maybe like a commentary on like humanity or thing, something, but I was like, would I be that horrible to them if, if I were around them? I don't know. It's just like, it's a little detail of the show that I, I mean, obviously there are some texts that are nice, but like on the whole, I don't know if that's like a hiring practice or what. Yeah. I don't know if it's supposed to be like, this is why we understand the size more thing of like, uh, his transformation that happened once he went into the park and saw right. them as more than just, you know, um, like tools with, yeah. with meat slabs on them. But, um, something that, that, uh, Ford says to Maeve is he says that, like, uh, he felt so cynical about the world, basically, that the only way for him to process it was to laugh at it. And that's kind of who the Maeve character was when we met her in the saloon. Right. Like, basically, that he made that character in his image. I don't think you can really apply that necessarily to the homestead version of Maeve. Like, my interpretation of her is that she wasn't exactly, like, wisecracking out on the prairie, but maybe she was. Um, my favorite uh, Laura Ingalls Wilder book, by the way, uh, Wisecrack on the Prairie. Oh, when but, she does um, stand-up? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God, that's a great one. <laughs> yeah, they turned but, that into uh, an FX series, right? Yeah. Y- yeah, it's 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 uh, it's pretty good. FXX, sorry, yeah. <laughs> but but uh, I think that's sort of their, like, a feeble excuse for like why she's his favorite because he maybe made her in his image that version of Maeve. Yeah. But um but you know he he and then he reveals that it was his intention for her to escape. Like this is kind of a big question of like was Maeve uh programmed to escape the park or was she, you know, supposed to come back? He wanted her to leave. Um, and then he says this thing about like, you came back to save your child and that's what I did too. And so like, yeah, you're right. It's a little bit of like a, an out of left field that Maeve is definitely Ford's favorite though. Like she did seem blessed with some faculties last yeah. season that no one else has. So you can sort of see. And then they have this. I mean, she's our favorite. So, you know, it stands to reason that, you know, Anthony Hopkins or excuse me, Ford is only human. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, and then there's this beautiful moment where he gives her this kiss and then you see her code updating. 
Well, he does this funny thing in this kind of long monologue where he's like, you know, regarding her, her prone on the thing where it's like a little bit like Ryan Seacrest in American Idol at the eliminations (laughs) where he's like, you're out of a winning competition because you're losing because you're in. And, you know, it's like this like circular thing. And you're like, wait, Ryan, are they going home or not? You know, are they safe or not? And with this, I was like, wait, Ford, are you going to let her die or not? And he kept being like, oh, but you're going to die. But maybe you won't. And, you know, so finally he's like, no, I want you to to live you know yeah but it, I, I liked that it took a while but it was also like a little bit like come on just just cut to the chase yeah you're right you're right he goes like you've come so far and so much of your story left to tell shame to let them end it here it's like well okay so don't uh, let them yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah fair um yeah so he kisses her and then on the tablet you see it says um unlocking core permissions so like whatever badass godlike stuff Maeve could do before apparently now she could do more what i, w- I don't know what it's gonna be but um it's gonna be I the hope, stand-up comedy i hope she does stand-up comedy and literally breathes fire those two things uh, <laughs> yeah. <together>. <laughs> you know what she's gonna do she's gonna yeah. finish the final two game of thrones books oh oh my god Winds of winter and a dream of spring yeah i can't wait nope. all right uh so let's hop over to bernard one of uh, Ford's other faves, apparently. And um, this is a great, uh, you know, not much happens for Bernard. Basically, like, he leaves the Mesa with Elsie. They get in the dune buggy. They only make it so far. And then he abandons Elsie. Yeah, and Shannon Woodward's crying on the side of the she's road. Been like, yeah. She's been like, she's been like, she's been like double fucked by him now. <laughs> now, like, 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 end of towards the first season, like, yeah. you know, he, he, locks her in a cave or whatever and now he just like abandons her it's really a a really fraught relationship but what this plot line did this episode is something i was very grateful for which is i don't know about you but i get very tired very quickly of like there's someone in my head get out of my head you know kind of things Mm -hmm. where people are hallucinating or whatever yeah that get that gets so repetitive and so interior like that i'm glad that this episode i think was just like okay we're done with that now yeah, and it, like this moment uh for Jeffrey Wright's delivery of like get the fuck out of yeah. my head was so it was an energy we haven't seen from him. Yeah, no, we've he's uh, been so like on not on one register but you know like calm almost. Yeah, like subdued, confused, blah blah, so this anger and and you know I I interviewed Jeffrey Wright for this podcast 2 weeks ago but like we couldn't talk about this episode, but I had already seen this episode. And so then I told him, I was like, I got, I, I freaked the fuck out when he said that line. And he was like, it's been a long ass time coming for Bernard. I was yeah. like, yeah. Um, so, you know, basically Bernard boots Ford out of his head, uh, and abandons, uh, Elsie. Um, the thing to note, I guess, here is when he does that, you know, he just reminds us where the hard port goes by cutting into his arm. We will see a similar gesture, uh, at elsewhere in the episode, mm-hmm. but that's, I think, why that happens. Like, not just so that he could delete, literally delete Ford out of his programming, but, um, so that we could get that hard porting reminder. Uh, and then, uh, oh, oh, and we get the revelation of like what the Valley Beyond is called. It's got a name. It's called the Forge. And I'm sorry, Lisa Joy and Jonah Nolan. I, you can't name it the Forge. It's too close to Ford. I don't like it. Like Ford's Forge. He, Ford's Forge. Ford's Forge. Valley, the Valley Forge. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, when they said that, this is one of two moments in this episode where I was like, mmm. I want to run this through the writer's room one more time. Are you telling me you time. don't want to hear Anthony Hopkins say, may the forge be with you? <laughs> I mean, come on. Okay, I take it all back. Yeah. You're right. I, I do want that. Um, 
there's this it, it, comparing what Ford is doing to Bernard here to what he does with Maeve. Because uh, it goes right from that scene where he's so tender and nice with Maeve to like where he's like haunting Bernard in the way that you hate. And he's very... And telling uh, him to kill somebody, a human. Yeah. Telling him to kill someone, telling him... Uh, you're the only one who can stop all of it, blah, blah, blah. And so it feels to me like very angel devil, right? He's an angel for Maeve and a devil for Bernard. And, um, and, and that's been part of this sort of like maddening inconsistency with Ford's character where you're like, here are a villain. I can't tell. Well, except that I think that what he, what has happened with him is that he has, or whatever version of him this is, is like, he is fully in the tank for the host and does not care about people anymore. And so whatever he can do to sort of advance that cause, be it killing people or whatever, like that's, that's his agenda. And, you know, I think he's completely like humans to him are the host to other people. Right. And so then it reminds me of that Jim Delos quote about like, you know, we were told there were two fathers, one above and one below, uh, but it's the same. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like if, if you've got like, Ford is this sort of angel demon figure in this episode. It's like, no, it's just the same. And it's a demon. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, and, and like, he's right and he's wrong. I don't know. Like, we, we like Elsie. Like, if he wants to pick on a number of other humans, we wouldn't mind. Like, if he's like, go ahead, kill Charlotte, I'd kind of be like, okay, yeah. she, she can go. But Elsie, like, she just wanted to go to dental school. We like Elsie. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, Ford's a slippery one, but we'll see. I mean, so he seemed to kind of. If he did kill Elsie, she'd be the happiest corpse you'd ever seen, though. I don't know. I don't know if this is if we're going to see Ford in the finale. To be honest with you, because like he leaves Bernard here, and it seems to me like he kind of leaves Maeve. Well, yeah, he sends her off on her way. Yeah, he gives her his final gift or whatever. Yeah, and that's it. And that's it. And also because what we're seeing of Ford talking to Maeve is sort of kind of what he communicated to her through Bernard. Right? We're just seeing it sort of manifest in a in a different time. Is that is that? It seems to me like he hopped code. He hopped from, like, he spread out into her code and just, yeah. Or it's just like, yeah, the personification of him unlocking some code for her. But, um. He's transcendence. He's Johnny Depp. It's true. (laughs) The rules are out the window. I don't mind if it means more Anthony Hopkins. But, like, it's possible he's not in the finale at all. Yeah. Now, listen. I've been wrong about Anthony Hopkins not coming back to the show before, so never say never, but it feels like maybe he's not in the finale. We'll see, but um, that's sort of my sense. And then uh, we should go to Dolores, run through all of Dolores' stuff. And we had already, you know, we we get Dolores sort of riding, riding over a... Uh, the crest of a hill with Teddy and, and a few of her surviving friends, like not Clementine, not Angela, but uh, I like to call them red shirts because they don't make it through the episode. She has like a few friends and Teddy and they encounter some ghost nation and ghost nation uh, is trying to stop her. And, um, you know, they call her the death bringer. They tell her her journey ends there. The Valley beyond is not for her. And she's like, no, the Valley beyond is not for you, dude. And, um, What's interesting about this clash is like coming right off of Kiksuya, like we got to be on Ghost Nation's side in this confrontation, right, Richard? That's not just my Dolores bias. Well, yes, we do, except that she's right and they're wrong. You know, we talked about this last week where kind of some of the tragedy of this great, you know, search for lost love and passing through into a different world and whatever, or, you know, Orpheus and Eurydice, whatever we want to, you know, call it is that like 
there's nothing for them out, out of that. The only thing that they can do weirdly is like do kind of what Dolores is doing, which is like kind of get revenge or whatever, you know, like, like what are they, what are, what is the ghost nation going to do if they actually do walk through that door? Well, so the question is like, what exactly does ghost nation want? And I'm trying to figure it out because I, I don't like, so Dolores wants to go conquer the real world. That's what she wants. Right. And Ford talks about the dawn of a new species Mm -hmm. and that's Dolores, which is like a host in the real world sort of thing. I wonder if Ghost Nation, if what uh, Akichita wants to do uh, is not that, but rather um, go into the forge, thinking that inside the forge he'll find a version of uh, his wife. Because I don't know, I don't know why the host's data would be backed up there. Like presumably they were only backed up in the cradle and not. But like he seems convinced he'll find his wife, and I think he's smart enough to know that she's not out in the real world. And so I think that like, Oh, see, I feel like he kind of gave up on her when he kissed her goodbye in cold storage. I I kind of feel like it's now about transcending the sort of plane of existence for, for all of his people, so to speak. He had this line to Ford where he said, or to someone where he said, find, you know, go through the door, find something. And he says, maybe even her. That's something that he said in last week's. Okay. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah, so like I I I kind of feel like in order for this to work and have tension uh in the finale uh and we haven't seen the finale I should say like yeah I I watched like these three episodes these last three episodes we talked about but n- none of us have a screener for the finale so I'm purely speculating but what makes most sense to me is like Bernard is headed to the valley Dolores is headed to the valley uh Charlotte's headed to the valley presumably um William's headed to the valley and Akichita's headed to the valley. And it makes sense to me that they should all want either a different thing or um, at least have a two factions, right? Uh, we know that William wants to destroy the valley. So he wants to like burn that whole server farm down. Uh, Dolores seems to want to use it as leverage to get out the door to go into the real world. That seems to be her mission. Um, I think Bernard has said he wants to destroy uh, the the forge, mm-hmm. uh, and so what does Akichita want to do? And I I kind of feel like Akichita wants to like go into the forge and live there as code. There's all these like options. In so much as he understands, yeah, in, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. There's all these different options for like. It almost feels like Ford in his attempt to get his children to survive gave them a bunch of different options of what, like maybe he doesn't know what it's going to take for them to survive. And so he's planted a bunch of different possible seeds. And hopefully one will work. And one will work. So is it Dolores traveling out into the real world? Is it ghost nation going into the forge? That's just a theory, but like, you know, is it something like that? I feel like they all have to like want something different. And we talked before on this podcast about the Tarkovsky film stalker and how that involves like a group of disparate people wanting to go to a room and they all want different things from the room. And so that's sort of what this feels like. They're all going to this room, this valley, this door, and they all must want different things, whether to destroy it uh, or to pass through it or pass into it. And I guess the question is which one of those things can this door satisfied if any of them if any of them i think is the really the the key question there but yeah so i mean like what i I mean 
you're right that Ghost Nation might be wrong, but I'm not convinced that Dolores is right. Um, but I think that I, you know I, what I mean? guess what what I mean is that like I feel like Dolores in a way somehow maybe just because of its convenience of the show, the, the writing on the show, she has a better grasp of like the context, I guess, because she has not turned this into a religion in huh. the way that Akichita and his people have. Um, so there's less of a spirituality and more of a practicality. And so maybe that's me revealing my sort of bias about that, you know, those things. Yeah. That, um, but I don't know. I, I don't want Dolores to be right because like, as we've said, she's kind of sucked all season, <laughs> but yeah. like, I mean, you know, great performance, whatever, but like, she's just served as this kind of like agent of a particular line of on the show that I don't love. But, um, right. but anyway, I hope she's wrong. I hope that there's a peaceful passing through the door or whatever, but I kind of sense in this show's purview, this show's like uh, out, you know, outlook on the world i kind of don't think it is yeah and i think that um we'll get to sort of what william wants but the william's confrontation with the door in the valley is going to be uh like very interesting to me but Mm -hmm. uh so we've got we've got dolores and teddy and her red shirts versus ghost nation watching teddy just like plow through ghost nation when we spent a whole episode like really getting to like them yeah uh is is hard for me to watch but crucially not the one ghost nation that we've actually kind of like got to know a little bit last week right he gets the cute guy with the good body um yeah (laughs) teddy teddy uh you know teddy might be uh you know badass uh killer now but he's still doing the same thing he was doing earlier in the season Mm -hmm. which is letting convenient people slip away um and so that happens and then dolores goes it's just you and me now because all of our friends are dead yeah and then we get this this final scene between Dolores and Teddy, which is shocking, despite the fact that this season literally opened with dead James Marsden. Yeah, um, but I think yeah. that what's shocking about it is not so much that like, oh, is this the end of James Marsden on the show? Because, you know, they, re- let's be honest, never really quite figured out what to do with him. If, if he yeah. indeed is done on the show, like, yeah, okay, like, they, it was a great idea to cast him, but obviously the show went in a different direction than, than maybe planned when he was cast in the beginning. Um, and it was such an interesting way for him to go out because it, it just, you know, further expands the, our, our notion of what consciousness looks like for the hosts, you know, there it's not that they're now hardwired to, uh, you know, survive and to grow. They're also, they can also kill themselves, you know, which is a part of, of freedom, I guess. Right. Yeah, and there's a lot of uh, suicide uh, themes of suicide, obviously, in this episode. Um, and we saw um, Angela, the, the the host of Angela, basically commit you know suicide suicide go full suicide bomber like two weeks ago. But but that was in service of something else. That was not yeah. you know that was like she was trying to like it, she was she was dying for the cause. In a way, you might think, okay, so like that's someone you know jumping on a grenade in war. This is teddy making an active choice that he can't live anymore yeah you know and and really in a way only serving himself in that i mean i guess he sees in a way that him not being able to protect dolores might hamper her in her mission but he doesn't know that that's going to stop it 
Right. And it comes right on the heels of um, this conversation that she has with him where he, where she's like, uh, you know, he's like, there's nothing natural about us. Right. And Mm -hmm. she's like, yeah. And in that sense, we're the first free creatures because there's not like, we're not dictated by the laws of nature. We are dictated only by our own choices. And so we're the first people to first creatures to ever make our own choice because we are not guided by any principle other than our own. Um, so that I think that that ties in like well with what you're saying. I want to talk to you about what works for me in this sequence and what doesn't. Um, a few things work like um, I don't love the whole Teddy wakes up and he's like, Oh, I saw you in the corner and you're naked. And I was wondering if you were cold. Like, I don't like that. That being said, uh, Marsden sells the hell out of like puppy dog love face uh, in that scene when he's like sitting there, when we first see, we see the birth of Teddy basically in a flashback. Uh, and, and what Evan Rachel Wood sells really well is her shock and grief when he dies. Uh, that is tremendously good acting from a great actress. Mm-hmm. Uh, what doesn't work for me is this idea of a tragic love story come to, coming to an end. And here's why the Dolores and Teddy stuff is, I don't know if I talked to the, to you about this already, but Dolores and Teddy stuff has been so hard for me um, to really feel because in the first season um, he's, um, he's the Baxter. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like he's, he's the Bill Pullman. He's the, he's the nice guy, but she's with William and you're sort of rooting for her to be with William in season one, even though you don't know like that William is Ed Harris. But you, when you see right. young William and Dolores cavorting, like she's technically kind of cheating on Teddy when she's with y- William, but you like feel their connection in a way that you're rooting for that versus you're not rooting for Teddy and Dolores in season one. You're rooting for young William and Dolores in season one. And now all of a sudden in season two, we're supposed to like buy Teddy and Dolores as this like great star crossed couple. And I don't, I simply don't. And so I don't feel the weight of his loss for her um, in the way that I think the show wants me to. Does that make any sense? It does make sense. And I thought about that too, when I watched the scene, cause I was like, okay, well like, what do we really care about this? You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But the way that I kind of saw it was, or chose to see it, maybe I'm, you know, reading too much into it, is that it was less about like, oh no, my great love Teddy is dead. It was more like her really realizing that like every vestige of the quote unquote life that she was living has to maybe be stripped of her um, in order to kind of pass through or do whatever she's trying to do, you know? So I think it was like a kind of almost like knee jerk emotional reaction to like, I mean, we'll see it coming up with William where like once a loss is realized and you're like, oh shit, like, you know, this actually is a thing. I'm still not deviating from my mission or whatever, but like you can still take a moment to like feel the consequence of it, I guess. So I think it was for me less about Teddy being gone and much more about her. Yeah. And like I said, I I agree. I agree that Evan Rachel Wood sold those final like seconds of, um, like I, I don't really care about Dolores and Teddy, but I do care about whatever Dolores is feeling in that moment. As inaccessible as I found her for much of this season, I, I did feel completely connected to her in that moment of what she was feeling. Um, she like shock. She was like before she starts her like silent open mouth screaming. 
uh, she's just shocked. And, and Evan did that really well. So even if I don't like fully buy the inspiration for it, the performance of it was really affecting to me. So and it uh, also might be like a, like, Oh fuck now I'm alone. And now it's going to be that much harder. You know, again, yeah. it might be that much more selfish, but I don't know. It's true. As soon as like ghost nation, ghost, ghost nation shows up next time, she's gonna be like, Oh yeah, shit, it's just, just me. me. Great, great, great. All right. So, that brings us to the William plotline, which is most of this episode. And I guess I'm going to kind of try to do this one chronologically as well. Uh, cause we get some repeating scenes, some flashbacks, some motifs. There's a lot of like, uh, impressively repeated dialogue. Like we get full sentences repeated a couple times, um, as we get to process what they really mean. But, um, Basically, you know, let's hop back in time to a party honoring William for his all of his good works in philanthropy. Uh, and he looks over. Do we know what that philanthropy is exactly? I think it has to do with like medical advancements okay. and like, yeah. like, cause there was that guy who came up to him in the park and he's the one who was like, you know, your whatever helped save my right, right, or right, something right. like that. You know what I mean? So, um, and uh, we see him look over and he sees a woman. And when I watched this screener a couple of weeks ago, I was like, oh, shit, yes. Celia Moore. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. And then they, you know, they they put her in the preview. I almost wish they hadn't put her in the trailer. Like they put her in, in the trailer for next week, uh, last week. And I almost wish that like everyone had gotten to have that moment where they were like, oh, my God, they made Celia Ward older Juliet. Oh, my God. So, uh, Richard, what did, what did you think? Yeah, I just loved this? her for a long time. And early, you know. We rattled off some of her credits, but she's just good. And she's great in this kind of where she's like, just like clearly a one-off episode, you know, just like makes her, st- her, her, her mark. And, uh, you know, it's just, I also think I've, I've talked about, I think earlier in the season of this podcast about like how this show kind of makes me feel like sad about like, where is the outside world? Like, where is anything fun or joyful? Cause everything is so miserable and like everyone is like so conflicted. And, and, and even though, Celia Ward's character, Juliet, like, is definitely a part of that conflict and that miserableness. Like, seeing Celia Ward, the actress, I was like, oh, right, this is all make-believe. <laughs> like, like, not that she <laughs> took me out of it exactly, but, like, she felt like a comforting presence in, in the show. Yeah. And um, I had said, or I don't know if I said it on this podcast, but I have said earlier this season when people were wondering if Juliet would be important for the finale, if we would see, like, uh, a robot replication of Juliet or something like that. Like some choice that older William has to make involving his dead wife. And I sort of dismissed it. Cause I was like, listen, if older Juliet shows up, the audience isn't going to give a shit. Cause we've never seen her. So we don't care. Uh, and I highly doubt we're going to get more Juliet story because young Juliet is played by some like, uh, you know, model mm-hmm. who has had no lines. And so I don't think, I don't trust that she's going to be able to carry the weight of any kind of Juliet backstory. And then as soon as Celia, Celia Ward pops up the beginning of this episode, I was like, Oh shit, I was wrong. <laughs> they got Celia Ward. Yeah. Uh, everything Juliet is now back on the table. As far as I'm concerned, uh, you know, if we see a, like, uh, Jim Delos esque re- replication of her in the finale. That's going to hit us. We're going to be like, Oh, it's Celia Ward. We know, we know who she is. That's Juliet, you know? Right. So, um, so Celia Ward, uh, they're at a party. We see her. I mean, like I, just like I did with the introduction of Emily, I instantly like her because not just because she's Celia Ward, but she, you know, 
William's getting sort of snootily dressed down by some rich guy who's like, oh, I forgot you you were a poor kid who read. And then Celia Ward comes up and like starts quoting Plutarch or something like that. And she's like, from a rich person who read. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, I like you so much. Um, she's got a drinking problem. Yeah. And that is evident um, because she's behaving like I do at a party when I've had too much champagne. It's not really a drinking problem if you're just getting drunk in champagne, though. Right? Champagne problem. Come on. <laughs> it's not a drinking problem. It's a champagne problem. Yeah. Um, and then we get this scene that I think a lot of people were wanting to see, which is more of the backstory as to why Ford and William might have so much enmity. Like, right. Yeah. I feel like I've been saying this, like, like the, not having Anthony have. Hopkins, like, we lose that. Okay. It's like they've been listening to me. Yes. Well, they, they, they heard your note. Good. And they gave you a nice little bar scene, which I loved. Um, and between, uh, Ford and William talking about, uh, like he says something really interesting where he talks about, you know, they basically talked about this deal they made, which is like, you know, Delos will stay out of Ford's narrative and Ford stays out of the Delos project, uh, out of the Valley, I think, uh, is what William says. And Ford is like, I didn't break that promise. Uh, you guys did. So I don't know what that means. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I yeah, but, I don't know what that yeah. means. I I did like though that like I like this kind of deepening of the William character where it's like he, as a young man, saw the evil utility in this enterprise and that like they could you know it wasn't about the host at all. It was about the guests. You know, um, yeah. and so he's stuck to that. You know, d- I guess we you know in the D- Jim Dallas episode we see him kind of like giving up on the project, but for a long time he was committed to it. And really saw the, the, the host and the whole park experience as this kind of means to an end. And yet has found himself completely addicted to that means, you know? So he kind of disdains it and says, you know, what's Oz doing without its wizard? He makes right. fun of it. He mocks it. And yet it's deeper in it than anyone else. Yeah. I, I like that. I love that line. Uh, what is Oz doing without its wizard? And, and Ford is really needling him about the way in which he's like lost himself. I think it's in this scene. It's certainly at numerous points in this episode, we see William sort of grab at his arm in the same place we will later see him cut into. So I don't, you know, and he talks in his voiceover throughout this episode, which we later find out is him talking to Juliet. Uh, he talks about this dark speck, this, like stain you know, this this stain this pollution on him when did it start where did it begin and and you know so it's sort of like this almost um telltale heart so like him him like clutching in his arm him talking about the stain it just feels very like elemental and very literary to me of like this physical manifestation of this uh dread that he feels about his own uh polluted morality you know um, we also see Emily in a B- Katya Harbors in a beautiful evening gown. I was like obsessed with this gown on her. It looked so good. Uh, you know, and she's concerned about her mom and, and he says he'll take her home and to meet, uh, to meet them back at home. And so we see him sort of escort her out of there. And, and before he goes, Ford gives him this little card, uh, which has some, you know, basically a record of his time in the park. Uh, and, and then Ford has this like lamentably cheesy line where he's like, Oh no, I think my friend won more game. Oh, that was terrible. <laughs> that was so line. bad. I was like, guys, <laughs> just cut the scene before that. Uh, yeah. I, like I was like, we didn't need Did it. Did Hopkins require that? Do you think <laughs> they won't <laughs> understand if I don't, <laughs> but don't say one yeah. more game. Um, you know, and so then, so or then, he uh, thought they had cut and he was just talking about something else later in his day. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
Um, he was talking to his I, assistant. I'm trying to do this chronologically. I don't know if it makes the most sense, but I'm going to keep plowing ahead and do this. So basically, like, William takes Juliet back home. And, uh, you know, they have this fight. Uh, where she, oh, oh, and I should mention, sorry, I forgot to mention when they were at the cocktail party that uh, he looks uh, she's like, she's like, oh, this whole party is just for you. What could be better? And right when she says that, when Juliet says, his wife says that to him, he sees a blonde cocktail waitress go by and he thinks it's Dolores. It's Evan Rachel Wood for a second. And so it's like, oh, I know what could be better. His robot lover. <laughs> that's who he's thinking of. Um, that's the attention that matters more to him than this entire party that's there for him. So, uh, so, so we see him go home and, and she starts to kind of like accuse him of things that, you know, we know she's right. And basically he's been gaslighting her his whole life, their whole life together. Um, you know, where she talks to him about like how he seemed to be the only real person. She was surrounded by all these phonies. He was the only real person. Then she's like, and it's just this great, like drunken performance from Celia Ward. Yeah. She's like, turns out, turns out you were the only one good enough to fake it past me. And I believed you, but you were lying to me this whole time. And I know you like go to the park and do this yearly sojourn there and you're sick. And, um, you know, I'm the one to tell you this. And, and- what does she say about, his effect on the family. She's like, you're a virus. You're a, it's not, oh, yeah, you took my father my, for, yeah, first, my br- first Logan, then my father, like your virus consumed my family. First, my brother, then my father. Now it's me. Uh, I mean, and, and like from her perspective, yeah, this guy shows up, pushes them into this investment that, that destroys Logan and like, you know, turns him into, he later kills himself. Yeah. Delos becomes obsessed with immortality and disappears into a, you know, thing underground. Like it's true from her perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and this to me, this cements, there's, uh, like, some fans are holding out hope that Logan's alive. This episode, the way that both Emily and Juliet talk about Logan. Mm, yeah, he's dead. Like, really, he's dead. Like, he's gone. And didn't, didn't, uh, didn't William say that? He did, but I think a lot of fans are like, maybe he was lying. I don't yeah. know. It's one of those fan theories that I think it's just people want more Ben Barnes and who can blame them. Well, that's all but, me. I, um, I set up a lot of bots to, uh, oh, okay. <laughs> to generate that, to, to f- confuse HBO. Um, no, I, I, I accepted that last week was the last we'll see him. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think, I think that's true. Um, and then Emily walks in and she sort of sees her mom and like, we know that Celia, Celia Ward Juliet is, is like right and telling the truth. But from Emily's perspective, like her mom has just gone off the rails again and she's like, we got to put you back in rehab, mom. And she's like, no, I'm not going back to that prison. And so, uh, she goes upstairs and William tucks her in and she says this thing, this line that gets repeated throughout the episode. Tell me one true thing. You know, and he tucks her in and he, I, I can't remember whether it was before or after this that he, he tucks that card away, uh, conveniently right in front of a mirror, <laughs> uh, in between some books. And he sits down on the edge of the bed and he confesses to her. He, he's like, you were right. You're the only one who saw me. And this is a speech that we've also heard repeated mm-hmm. throughout the episode, but we get it at the end. Like, he's like, you're right. You're the only one who saw me. Um, I, I, this darkness, this, this, uh, stain inside of me, like it was always there. And I was the only one in control of how much I let it, you know, let people see. And, uh, it's a real, I think all of the writing in this episode is really good. What did you think of this? Yeah, I think it's good. It weirdly, I don't know why the sort of like elliptical nature of it reminded me a bit of arrival. 
where mm. we, we keep sort of zooming in like, and like it's sort of abstract with when we're hearing a voices and where they're coming from. It also reminded me of, um, a little bit of a show that we might be talking about later this summer, mm. um, that I've watched some of recently, which is why I'm, you know, I'm on an Amy Adams kick, let's say. Um, that's a little tease. Um, we can, we can say it because actually I was, I, I wanted to like promo it. Oh, okay. Um, we're doing sharp yeah. objects. Hey, we're doing sharp objects. If you're listening to this and you're like, Hey, I want to hear Richard and Joanna make more Ben Barnes jokes. Well, I don't know about Ben Barnes, but we'll figure out things to say. We're going to be talking about the HBO series, uh, sharp objects. I don't know. I mean, the problem is, Joanna, I don't have any jokes to make about Amy Adams or Patricia Clarkson. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, they're you're, just not people I like to make jokes about. So the twin, the twin goddesses of all things. <laughs> no, it's going to be, danger. uh, nine <laughs> weeks or 10 weeks of Amy Adams and Patricia Clarkson jokes. Um, but anyway, I loved the kind of elliptical nature of this episode. It, 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 you know, if you do that without any sort of follow through, it gets just annoying and obfuscating. But everything sort of like almost circling the drain kind of came together by the end and, and sort of crystallized into something really interesting that I think gave us as much backstory on Juliet, a crucial character as we need. Absolutely. Um, he says this thing to her, he says, I don't belong to you or this world. I belong to another world I always have. And he, we flash to young William sort of seeing, uh, Dolores when she's been reprogrammed to forget him. And it, it, which to me underlines the thesis that I've always had, which is that William's drive is, of course, pinioned to this moment of like losing this, like he fell in love with her. He never felt for Juliet the way that he felt for Dolores. Um, which is sad and losing her and trying to kind of reclaim her has been a drive of his, this, uh, this, this, this thing that he does in season one, which is about waking the robots up. My belief when I was watching that season was like, he, he wanted to wake Dolores up and give her free choice because he wanted her to pick him. Um, he wanted her to make the choice and still choose him because he's still in love with her. And, you know, I belong to this other world. I, like, it's about as perverted and twisted as, as William is. It's about his version of love, right? Right. And a lot of this reminds me so much of my favorite. I, I've talked about this also before, but a lot of this reminds me so much of my favorite, uh, Jonathan Nolan film, which is The Prestige. Um, we've talked about, the concept of the transported man, you know, in the prestige, Hugh Jackman's character, uh, sort of, I mean, spoiler alert for the prestige, but he like kills himself every night in order to reappear as a copy somewhere else. And he's got all these great lines about like, I didn't know if I would be, if I would be the man in the tank or the man who woke up any given night. And it has a lot to do with the conversations you and I were having about transporting your consciousness to Mars and stuff like that. Like all of that mm -hmm. concept is very, evident in the prestige and evident here, but more uh, pertinent to this plot line is the Rebecca Hall storyline in the prestige where she's in love with Christian Bale character and Christian Bale is actually playing once again, spoiler alert for the prestige two characters uh, switching back and forth. And on any given day, she doesn't know whether or not she's with the husband who loves her or the one who doesn't. Cause she thinks it's one person is actually two. And so this woman who is gaslit into addiction, uh, which is true for both Juliet and the Rebecca Hall character, the prestige, like who starts doing laudanum, I believe, um, addiction and then suicide. Like that's the same story because of a, a, a love that was lying to them, uh, and, and withholding love. Yeah. 
and and that whole like uh uh, like just desperately terrible feeling of feeling crazy and being told you're loved but not feeling that love there yeah yeah and then Um, and then also this fear you know she says to the daughter, she's like, just that Emily, she's like, and now he's gaslighting you. Like now, you know, now it's like, it just, you know, that it's never going to end. And so just that, the hopeless con- in- insanity of that. He tucks her in. He thinks she's asleep. She's not. She hears him start to uh, tell her the story. He leaves. She gets up. She has seen where he has tucked this little, um, like, thumb drive uh, with all of his recorded antics in the park. And uh, she, oh, by the way, on their bedside at home, they've got some light reading of Jude the Obscure. Uh, two volumes on Plutarch. And, uh, there was something else, uh, I wrote it down, but anyway, um, you know, it was an Archie double digest. Yes. Yes. Archie double digest. Um, but she, she sort of, she looks at his, uh, the things that he's done in the park and she's like, yeah, this dude's a monster. And, um, oh, Slaughterhouse five. That's another thing that they have the bedside. And, uh, is there suicide in Slaughterhouse five? There isn't Jude the Obscure. I don't know if those were little like fun little suicide Easter eggs for us. What, yeah, what a good time. I don't remember. Actually. Um, but so she she sees all this. She puts the card in. There the is game. an Archie Double Digest though. There's a lot yes. of suicide. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's the, it's <laughs> the one where Mitch kills herself. Oh no, for Mitch. Um, it's uh the she puts the card in uh, the music box that Emily has talked about elsewhere in this episode. So kind of leaving it at, for Emily to find. And she goes and she kills herself. And this sort of answers, I guess, sort of answers the question we had. Because what it looks like it happened to me is like in season one, we hear from William and he said she took too many pills and fell asleep in the bath. And then when we got the flashback earlier this season, we saw blood in the bath. And I didn't really understand how those two things computed. But what it looks like to me is that she took some pills. uh, The blood is blossoming out from her head. So it looks like she hit her head. And that's uh, what happened. Not that she slit her wrist, but that all the blood in the bath is coming from her head. So she took too many pills and like hit her head hard enough. I don't. I don't or, really or I mean, I think. I mean, sometimes people do both. Uh, take pills and yeah, cut the wrist. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it's it's a it's a terribly upsetting image, and I hope that everyone. Um, I know there's been a lot of discussion about you know whether or not to show suicide on screen. I hope everyone was sort of. Um, feeling okay but we we see it this is it Juliet's dead and uh and that is the end of that flashback you know like there's a little bit more of like emily and william talking about the doctor coming and stuff like that but that's that's the uh that's the end of that flashback so let's go back <laughs> to the park for i think what the 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 conversation that you're referring to you know we've got like Juliet and william talking um him being paranoid and distrustful of her being a host. Mm-hmm. We see the Delos people come, QA come and sort of accost them. They see William. They're like, that's the boss. They scan his spine. There's no C- C4 or whatever in his spine. So like it, that to me confirms that he's human, but you know, that can still be a question for people. Um, he grabs her gun, kills them. We don't see they, what hers said. We don't see what her said. I should say, I, before we get to this part, which, which was like actually very upsetting to me because we lost an actress that I really like. Um, uh, the, the earlier conversation, Emily was talking to him and she's like, there's no way you could capture consciousness without something scanning the brains at all time. And he was like, yeah, it's built in. It's 
in the hat. I got it like two seconds before he said it. I was like, is he going to say it's in the fucking hats? The hats are magic. (laughs) The hats are magic. It's the silliest thing. I mean, does that mean the bonnet? Are they in the bonnets too? Like, I mean, like, are they in Shogun World? Are they in the Raj? Like, they don't have hats in every single one of these worlds. Some people don't like to wear hats. Uh, it's, it's the stupidest thing I've ever An old friend of mine, a friend of mine has, who's comedian has this funny joke with his, with his girlfriend, um, where, um, anytime someone says nice hat, what they're really doing is just saying hat. (laughs) (laughs) Just like pointing out that you're wearing a hat. (laughs) You you know, you're wearing a hat, right? Some people don't like hats. So I just, this whole thing is one of the silliest things the show's ever done. I think. I mean, it's like... (sighs) It's funny though, because it's like, oh, look at all these dopes, like playing cowboy and whatever and putting on these hats. And like the whole time that like it's a device to like read your brain. I will say that like for anyone who's done one of the, uh, Westworld pop up events that they had in the off season. So they did one at New York Comic Con. I went to one at South by Southwest. There's a big thing where they like have you go pick a hat and then you keep that hat. So like every mm. reporter, every whoever who went and did these little immersive Westworld experiences over the last year has a fucking Westworld hat uh, mm. that you get to take away home with you. And you so, should uh, make sure it's not scanning your brain. Yeah, I gave mine to someone else, so oh, I good. will give her a call Smart. and make sure that her brain isn't. It's scanning, like the but, people uh, at the Singapore summit who got like the um, the reporters who got the like the plug in fans for their phone thing. You know, yeah. Everyone's like, uh, definitely throw that out. That's yeah, definitely, definitely spyware. Immediately in the trash. Yeah. So yeah, so I think a bunch of uh reporters when they saw that, uh, when they saw the screeners, uh, were like, holy shit, it's in the hat. Um, anyway, but it doesn't make any sense. It's very yeah. silly, but it's kind of fun. But it's very magic silly. hats. A uh, magic hats. Uh, but let's go back to William. I guess killing his dog. Yeah. So this so, is the thing that I was saying that like bummed me the hell out because like, yeah, I feel like there was some other thing that i saw recently where something along these lines happened i mean not not the same circumstance but but like just the realization of like oh my god did i just kill my kid you know like that like that in this sudden thing it's now over it's completely irreversible like what did i do like that to me is just such a howlingly horrible thing to think about that i think it's by far the darkest thing the show has done yeah i i 100 percent agree when he killed her I was like, if she's not a fucking robot and he just killed his flesh and blood daughter, and I do believe he did just kill his flesh and blood daughter, uh, I think the card in her hand kind of proves that, even though we yeah. didn't see the result of her scan. Um, he was about to cut into her arm to like prove to himself that she was a robot. He was going to go find that hard port in, uh, and then he doesn't feels like he doesn't have to because he sees the card and he's like, oh, fuck, I've killed my daughter. Um, I believe she's dead. Whether or not that's the last we see of Katya Herbers, I don't know, because once again, I don't know what's going to happen in the, the door in the valley. And if we're going to see, you know, like, uh, replications of Juliet and Emily in there, if he's going to choose to go into the, cause there's, there would be copies of them in the forge for sure. So if he chooses to go into the forge where he can like hang out with uh, his dead wife and daughter. But when would uh, he have had a chance to get all of the optics or the data rather on? I guess she's, uh, um, Emily's been in the park before, but like, where would, cause I feel like Juliet stayed the hell away from there. Was he just she, like capturing no, her other she, she used to go, like, they talked about how they used to go there to the rot, like that whole thing about being afraid of the elephants. Oh God, that's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 So Juliet was in the park. Um, but like a long time ago. A long time ago. Be a younger version of Juliet. Maybe he could start over. Young William, young Juliet, baby Emily. Um, a, a spinoff. 
Yeah, in the forge. Westworld colon the forge. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I say Emily is dead and he killed her and he then rides off on his horse, still sort of like, um, not doing well from those bullet wounds and, uh, p- goes to kill himself and he can't do it. Uh, and then he sort of like, you know, he remembers all this other stuff and then he gets down on his knees and he digs into his arm to look for the port and it ends on a cliffhanger of people can decide whether or not they think he might be a host, even though he doesn't, that though his spinal scan was, was clear. I think he's not, I think he's not. I think he's just crazy. I think he's crazy. I think he I doesn't think know his like world is inverted. He, you know, what's real. Well, he, I mean, it's the only thing it, it, it would probably help him to believe that he was like program. He can blame this on Ford too. Right. If he's a robot, then he was programmed to kill his daughter. It's not his fault. Right. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, and he's the, one of the only people who knows what he knows. Like he's one of the only people, if not the only who spent all that time with fake Jim Delos. And so he knows how deep down this like rabbit hole goes. You know, he's not a casual park goer because a casual park goer getting that sort of like obsessed and caught up in the park doesn't make as much sense. But like he, He's aware that this actually does have existential consequences and like implications. And so I feel like that's what allows him to, you know, I think that's why he wanted the park to become real or the stakes to become real because he knew that the stakes were real and he wanted the park to confirm or to match the reality that he was aware of. And I think that, um, you know, so what this, what this episode sets up is he has had like this, tremendous earth-shaking loss in that he killed his daughter and Dolores has just experienced similar. And so like, you know, wounded and alone, they're headed towards the same goal. So we're going to get like sort of a redux of season one, which is a showdown between the lavas, Mm -hmm. Dolores and William, uh, you know, licking their wounds and figuring out what comes next. So I don't know. Uh, so yeah, so, uh, it, it was, it's very, like, you know, there's, there's two suicides in this episode, uh, and a, and a murder, uh, at least one, right? And, um. What is that, like, filicide? I don't know. What's the, what is it, kill, killing your child? Anyway, I just thought that was so grim. Like, <laughs> it, it was really yeah. upsetting. Yeah. Um, and, 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 Upsetting because it's like so dark, but upsetting because, you know, as you and I have said over and over again, we really like this character a lot. Um, you know, and, and it, what's interesting is like, you know, so I mentioned this already. I think that, that the actors who play Abernathy, Dolores's dad and Angela were, uh, promoted to series regulars, uh, this season only to die and Katya Herbers joined the cast only to die. So I don't know. I mean, like, pres- oh, hopefully Akichita makes it through the final um, episode of One Piece, but I don't know if like any of the new ca- new cast members are, you know, are we going to see anyone from Shogun World again? I don't know. So uh, it's a question. Uh, all right. So the finale uh, is coming next week. And I just, I guess I should say a few things that I want to see tied up. I mean, it's a 90 minute finale, which is crazy. Um, and most pressing on my mind is where are Felix and Hector and Armistice and Armistice, Japanese gay lover, and when? how soon do I get to see them again? 
Um, well, probably not because next, the finale is the 90 minute Maeve live at Sweetwater stand up special. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. So maybe uh, se- season three, episode one. But yeah. Season three, episode one, we'll yeah. get that again. Yeah. But next week is just the jokes, right? <laughs> yeah. All jokes all the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So yeah, that's a big well, question about them. Um, what else? Well, yeah. I mean, what, what else are you, are you, um, about? I, I want at least one of these searchers for the valley to get a resolution for themselves. Do you know what I mean? Like, I yeah. would be annoying if the finale ends and they're all still like, you know, pointed at this big question mark. Like, I don't need the, sh- the whole show to wrap up its sort of arcs for all of its main characters, but like, I don't, and it doesn't mean I want someone to die necessarily, but like, I, I, I don't think that we c- can satisfyingly end this season if at least one of them hasn't achieved something. Right. Yes. It would be terrible if we we're all like back at square one. I mean, you know, cause this feels like sort of uh, a lot, ha- a lot was accomplished in season one, but then season two just has felt like a long slog towards the neck, not a long slog. That's wrong. We learned so much about the mythology and we had some killer standout episodes, but it's also like how much has Dolores progressed? Right. Like first season was all about the maze. Right. And this season was yeah. all about the door. If season three is all about like the hall, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> You know, I'm going to be um, kind of annoyed, but yeah, I guess now. And then we, we have to wonder how all those bodies got in, how, how the valley gets flooded, how yeah. all those bodies got there. Uh, oh, right. And then you, there's timeline beyond that. Yes. Right. Okay. Um, did Dolores drag Teddy's body there herself? How did yeah. Bernard end up on the beach? Right. Um, a lot of questions. Uh, how, how attractive will uh, Luke Hemsworth be? Uh, in right. the episode, right? Et cetera, et cetera. Can so. naked Ben Barnes swim? <laughs> These are the existential I don't know. questions that play. Maybe here. I haven't given out hope. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot to take care of, and uh, it's so funny because we were talking about like how every all the plot lines sort of came together uh, in episode eight, uh, and now they're sort of it feels as fractured as or in episode seven. And now it feels as fractured as ever in episode nine. So I guess they're going to have to come back together again in the finale. And once again, we have 90 minutes to get there, but uh, it's just a lot, a lot going on. So indeed. Let's go now to our interview with Kathy Herbers, who plays the late great Emily. The run for revoke is where you'll meet all the most exciting people in fashion and culture. I am Fran Libowitz. Um, who should be the mayor of New York? We all support yeah, that. we support that. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Nikki. Yes. It's been really great Chill being in this beautiful pink room. All right, Asher, can you hear us? I can hear you. All right. Can you hear me? We can. We can. All right, here we are. <laughs> On the podcast, you'll learn how Vogue really works. Sometimes we'll come in for a second or even third run through until we are... AWOK. Can you tell us what AWOK means? It means um, A-W-O-K and a winter okay. I'm Cho Minardi. And I'm Chloe Mal. And we're the hosts of The Run Through with Vogue, where fashion and culture collide. Join us. It's AWOK. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, 
and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium, Apple Card, or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Joining us today is Katya Herbers. Katya, thank you so much for talking to us. It's a pleasure. Okay, so here's the deal. Westworld has a million twists and turns. I have been through them all. I have never gasped in such horror and distress uh, <laughs> until what happened to you this Sunday. Um, how, oh, gosh. How, how did you react when you found out what was going to happen to your character? Um, well, I knew, I knew from the start mm-hmm. uh, that this was going to happen. Um, when, when I signed on for the role, I didn't know that I was going to play uh, the man in black's daughter until my first day. And Lisa Joy asked me to um, sit down with her because she wanted to tell me who I who I was. And then um, and then she immediately told me sort of the whole arc of the story. So uh, yeah, I knew it was going to happen. It was still pretty heartbreaking. So um, what you know, I I did want to ask you about that. I mean, we'll go back to this terrible, awful thing that happened to your character. But mm-hmm. um, when you found out that you'd be playing Ed Harris's daughter, you know, what was your reaction to that? And then how did that inform your performance? Well, I mean, I just couldn't believe my luck mm-hmm. um, to be playing his daughter. He's one of the actors I've admired my whole life, and uh, yeah, and to come into the show playing someone who's already sort of established in that way and it was you know sort of westworld royalty um was <laughs> very 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 special um yeah i guess in terms of preparing i i did look at him a lot and i wanted to for instance like flick my gun in the same way that he did and sometimes i'd ask him you know how do you i I'd try to match my accent to be sort of like his i'm from holland so this is all fake you know <laughs> All the American stuff is fake. Um, but I want it to be, you know, extra, extra fake, extra good in faking it. So, yeah. And then when did you find out that Celia Ward would be playing your mother? That wasn't until very, like, maybe just two or three days before we shot that scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm a huge Celia Ward fan. And everyone I know, when she showed up for the trailer for this week's episode, got very excited to find out that she'd be on the show as a big surprise. Yeah. Um, you know, what was what was the experience like working with her opposite her? It was great. Um, it was very brief. Like my main, my main um, experience of working on Westworld was just getting to play with Ed Harris. And then right. it was <laughs> which was, I mean, you couldn't wish for anything better. But then, and then Sila showed up, and obviously that was very exciting. Um, but it was still kind of Ed and me <laughs> against the rest, if you know what I mean. Uh-huh. So, um, <laughs> um, yeah, it was very brief, and 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 I guess because I'm so sort of distant to her in in my character, and I and I and I just feel that you know I'm, I'm, I'm on my dad's side and. I'm angry with her, which I later regret. Um, yeah, I sort of, I sort of also kept my distance. I was like, okay, well, here's Sheila Ward. Hi. Okay, here we go. You know, I, I couldn't get too excited. I think one of the reasons why this death uh, in this episode is going to land so hard with them is because your character kind of became a fan favorite from the minute you got this great introduction in the Raj and everyone, every fan that I talked to since then has been really excited about your character 
I know you're on a social media a little bit. Do like, what do you see on social media from from the fandom? I mean, there's a lot of people saying that I look like uh, that I should be pl- playing Princess Leia, which obviously I would not turn down if it would happen. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's people who go like, "No, she should play Sarah Huckabee Sanders," or "No, she's." Um, really masculine or like, I don't know. I, and then I, and then I um, decide to go off the internet again, because it's just, it's a, that's it's a, a little much. Yeah. It's a, <laughs> it's <lot>. a little <laughs> much. <laughs> but you can, it's good. It's, it's, it's really sort of equal balance between compliments and just people just completely hating you. You know? So uh, yeah. It keeps, so keeps you honest yeah, and fresh. It's just, yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. Um, so, you know, I've kind of learned to say never say never on uh, Westworld to cite Jimmy Simpson last season. He swore to me he was not coming back in season two. And then, of course, we've seen him a bit. Um, is I'll, I'll just ask you anyway, though. Is this it for, for Kathy Herbers and, and Westworld? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I think I think like on this show, anything can happen. I, I really don't know. I mean, we do what we do know is that, you know, copies are being made of people mm-hmm. and that. You know, I've been to the Raj as a child, and I'm sure this is just me making this up right now, right? Because I don't know if this is if this is true, but I'm sure there's a copy of of Grace Emily somewhere. So I'm sure, like technically, it would be possible to bring me back in some form um, if 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 people would want that. I I don't, yeah, right. Yeah, I absolutely. Think. Yeah, never say never. I will. I'll be pulling yeah. for it. The uh, you mentioned you mentioned uh, Emily the Raj as, as a child. There's this scene a couple episodes ago where your uh, your character speaking to Ed Harris, and there's this back and forth about the elephants, and she, you know, oh yeah, um, about who's scared of the elephants and when. And this mm. this sort of became this huge talking point among the fandom because they were like, oh, this means she's a yeah. robot. This means he's a robot. This means it's a fidelity test. Um, what's your interpretation right. of what that? Experience I think he's just not been a very present father because right. he's been extremely distracted um, by, you know, Westworld and Dolores and everything. So that was my interpretation while playing it. It could very well be that I'm wrong, but that was what I was doing in that scene. Like, I've never questioned him to be anybody else but my father. Um, I, I never thought he could, you know, he would be a robot or so. I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. This is going to be a difficult interview because I honestly I'm I'm not I'm I have no authority to speak um about, you know, what things actually mean. I just know what I played and it could be that what I've been playing was wrong all along. Who knows? My interpretation of of this death here is that like, you know, Emily is definitely a human. He has definitely killed his human yeah. daughter. And I think so. And this is a a terrible tragedy. Um Yeah. Do you have any theories, Katya, yourself, as to whether or not he is a host or if he's human? I mean, I, I, I can I can go there and think about it, what that would mean and how that would be, you know, maybe would be possible. But I don't I don't think so. I think it I think it's really heartbreak a heartbreaking moment because he's himself killing his actual daughter having gone so completely insane that he thinks that you know even his own flesh and blood is now part of this game and ford's narrative so i think if he would if he were to be a robot which i don't think he is i think it would just take so much away from what a what an extremely heartbreaking <laughs> 
to, to put it mild, you know, yeah. moment that is. So, so I think it was a very real moment between father and daughter that went absolutely terribly wrong. Worse, you know? Yeah. 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 I completely, I completely agree with you. I think that's true of a lot of yeah. moments in Westworld that, uh, you know, the mystery seeking phantom gets itself so spun up saying like, he's a robot, she's a robot, blah, blah, but that the human, tragedy and the human drama uh gets lost in that sort of like conspiracy theory yeah you know and that's also what i really liked about my storyline with with man in black was that it made him you know it made him so human we've seen him in the first season just being this monster and now you all of a sudden see that he when you know during the campfire scene in episode six when he actually gets a little emotional and then sure he bails in the morning but i do think that i got through to him for a second and then um, and then later to, to see him not, not take this opportunity of, of connecting to his daughter. Although I have to say, I have a plan, you know, I, I was going to lock him up and I know what he did to my mom and I know, and I've read his, um, his profile, again, his profile. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I know, I know the kind of monster he is and I know, and I knew from the get go that, you know, that was my plan and any kind of, um, appeasement or, or trying to make it right with him was was tactic. That's at least how I played it, that I thought, you know, I have this in the back of my mind that I am going to do to him what we or he was going to do to my mother. And that I think that, you know, my mom's drinking problem is because of him, because she always felt that he um, he wasn't present and that she just lost her mind. He completely gaslighted her. And that's yeah. why um, that's why that happened to her. And I feel terribly um, guilty that I didn't see it and that I was always on my dad's side and that I even, as we see in episode nine, made the call um, to get her to go to some kind of uh, uh, rehab center where, where she really doesn't want to go. So I come to Westworld trying to right this wrong um, to the best of my ability. Obviously, I can't bring my mom back, but I can I can lock him up because I think he's he's absolutely dangerous and has lost his mind. So that's what I want to do. I want to get him get him out of the park, and I want to get him certified insane. Um, what well, you know as you as you reflect back on on your um upsettingly to me brief time in Westworld because I just want more yeah. of you. Um, what was what oh. was the most challenging thing for you to film in your time there? Actually, all the stuff in episode nine was 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 pretty challenging just because we got the rewrites so um, close to having to shoot it. I think I got the rewrites like Saturday at like 11 p.m. and I had a Monday call at like 3 a.m. <laughs> I was like, how am I supposed to get 12 pages of dialogue in my head? I just don't know how that's humanly possible. Um, so that was, I guess, that was the biggest challenge. But what was really great about uh, about it was that Ed Harris was always just completely present for me and, 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 and there for me and helping me to, um, yeah, helping me to, to get it right. So, uh, yeah. You talked a little bit about, um, the character of William as played by Ed Harris, how he's, and this episode has so much to say about, um, losing your grip on reality when you spend too much time in, in gameplay either. And, and we as modern, humans can think of this in terms of the future of virtual reality and VR or just a uh, regular gaming that we do any kind of fantasy world slipping into it and the danger of losing yourself. But I was wondering if, 
if that theme or any other theme of season two, like what has been the most interesting to you in terms of thematically what Westworld has to say about our relationship with technology, the way we live now, all of that. Mm. Well, I'd always, I don't know who, who said this as somebody smart and famous, but I, I, um, and I'm going to quote that person wrong, but I think uh, anything that humans are able to create, we're going to create. Uh, although we might know that it, you know, could could mean our our end. And I think Westworld, in that way, is a is a big cautionary tale of what will happen if we if we continue on this path. And I think we will continue on this path. And I think artificial intelligence, like um, like we we already know uh, is 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 bigger than we understand. I mean, I think Mark Zuckerberg even said when he was testifying that he doesn't really understand all the ins and outs of what Facebook can and can't do. Right. And so we've already created something that is that is something that is out of our control. And I think, yeah, that's something that I take home and I get pretty pretty nervous about. Um, and something about you know us striving for immortality yeah. where the hosts are just trying to become mortal because they don't want to be um, replaceable, I think is, is a very beautiful thought. And a- yeah. And I think that's something, you know, of, of, you know, once again, I'm, I'm definitely not going to ask you to t- speak to things that you, that you can't speak to, but um, mm-hmm. there has been this theory among the fans that perhaps the character of Juliet, um, you know, will come, you know, will be presented as a, uh, a robot sort of option or a code option that William can have another chance at, at life with it. You know, your character even mentioned as much um, in, in this episode, but then there's that question or that theme that William keeps bringing up, which is just sort of like, you know, death has to mean, you know, death has to mean something. Immortality is, is, um, it's sort of foolhardy because it removes the meaning as you, as mm-hmm. like we were saying earlier about like Emily and William not being humans removes the meaning of that interaction. Yeah. Immortality removes the meaning of your lived life because if it just goes yeah. on forever, then it doesn't matter as much. Right. So mm-hmm. if uh, a different version of Emily were to come back in season yeah. three, uh, as we are all hoping and praying for. Um, <laughs> Thank you. What what world what world that the show has not explored yet would you love to see um, explored in the park? Um, I just I, I, I'd have to get my head around even being a robot. I, I would be slightly heartbroken to not be able to play a human <laughs> anymore <laughs> because I I would love to explore. I would actually love to go back in time a little bit more if possible. I'd love to have some more of these, but that's just me selfishly speaking as an actor. I'd love to have more interactions with Ed Harris where I try to (laughs) get him to go to a mental asylum. I think that's a very fun thing. (laughs) And then, um, yeah, I also am very interested in, because I mean, I guess I'm, you know, Delos, uh, I, I could maybe, I could maybe take over the company or something. That would be pretty fun. Great. Either get your dad committed or take over the company maybe, or both. Or maybe both <laughs> yeah. or both. Or, and then just anything with Ed Harris. As long as Ed Harris <laughs> is in my scenes, I will be, I will be internally, eternally grateful. Yeah. But I mean, this is all hypothetically because I'm, I'm, I've deceased. You are no more. All right. <laughs> 
Well, thank you so much for chatting with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you, it. Joanna. Yeah. yeah, thank you. All right, that's it for us this week. We will be back next week with the finale, and then we will be taking a couple weeks off, and then we'll be back to do Sharp Objects, as we mentioned, on uh, another Yeah, we're going to do a good, nice, light comedy. Yeah. You know? Uh, a real zippy fun show. Yeah, it's Patty Clarkson, and- Amy Adams, just whooping it up in Missouri. <laughs> Well, don't they like go to Sweetwater and take in Maeve's stand-up set? Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, because Maeve goes on tour, so it's a whole oh. thing. Yeah, yeah. It becomes like kind of like roadies. Remember that show? Oh, it's, I do. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah the yeah. Camera Crush show. We should okay. do that season. <laughs> and so we'll be back for that. We will take a few weeks off until then, but one more, one more Westworld before we go. Richard, until then, where can people find your work on the internet? VF.com. Uh, um, you know, just got some reviews coming up, and then I'm on Twitter at Rylaws. Uh, you can find me on vanityfair.com as well. You can also find me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. This episode was produced and edited by Dave Gonzalez, and we will see you all next week. These violent delights and violent ends. We've all been there before. You're planning a dinner party or having family over or even just cooking for yourself when all of a sudden it starts to feel overwhelming. Uh, I live in a very small one-bedroom apartment with a very small kitchen. I can't figure out what to serve besides water soup at this point. I'm Chris Morocco, food director of Bon Appetit and Epicurious, and this is Dinner SOS, a new podcast from Bon Appetit. Maybe it's a last-minute party with no menu inspiration, a kitchen with no space, a toddler who only eat buttered pasta. Name your dinner emergency. We're here to help. Here's how the show works. On each episode, we'll take a call from a home cook facing a real dinner emergency. Then, I'll work with one of our editors or someone from our amazing test kitchen to try and solve it. Because cooking for the people you love should inspire joy without a side of stress. Make sure you're following Dinner SOS wherever you're listening now.